Welcome to Woodlawn. We're so glad that you've joined us on this Easter Sunday morning for worship. Now, we're going to begin today with the crucifixion. It was about three o'clock on that Friday afternoon when Jesus died on the cross. The observance of the Sabbath was to begin three hours later at 6 p.m. According to Jewish law, a crucified victim could not remain on the cross over the Sabbath day. Those were harsh days back then, and very often bodies of crucified victims were simply thrown into the garbage heap to be given, taken over by vultures or crows or dogs of the street. But fortunately, the followers of Jesus had an influential friend. He was able to help them with what they needed. Their friend was a powerful man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. He was rich, he was devout, and he was a member of the Sanhedrin. But in secret, he was also a follower of Jesus. Joseph went to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and requested that the body of Jesus be given to him for a decent burial. So Joseph and Nicodemus, the man who first visited Jesus by night, came and took the body and buried it in a cave-like tomb owned by Joseph. Then a great circular stone shaped like a cartwheel, which was in a groove, rolled up close to the tomb. Meanwhile, the temple authorities were still uneasy about Jesus. They went to Pilate. They asked that special precautions be taken to guard the body so that no one could steal it, and Pilate agreed. He posted guards outside the tomb around the clock. In addition, he had that stone sealed to make doubly sure that no one could get in or out of the tomb. Throughout Friday night and all day Saturday and Saturday night, the body of Jesus lay in the tomb and there were no visitors because it was the Sabbath. But then came Easter Sunday morning. Early that morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. She saw that the stone had been rolled away, and so then she saw that the grave was empty. Alarmed, she ran to fetch Simon, Peter, and John, and together they came back to the gravesite and found it just as Mary had described it. Peter and John then turned back to home, but Mary, who was so depressed, stayed in the garden just outside the tomb to mourn alone. She wept softly because she thought that someone had stolen the body. She wondered aloud, how could they have done this? Haven't they already done enough? And now this, they've stolen the body. They've hidden it from us. Have they no shame? Don't they have any feelings at all? Then in what some have called the greatest recognition scene in all of literature, she suddenly ran right into the resurrection as she recognized the resurrected Lord. At first, she thought he was a gardener, but then when he called her name, Mary, her eyes flew open, 
and the truth of Easter became real for her. She saw the risen Christ. And as it always happens, when we encounter the living Lord firsthand, He did what He always does. He gave her a job. He sent her to tell the others the good news. She ran as fast as she could to the disciples and shouted the good news of Easter. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Isn't that a great story? If that doesn't make you tingle with excitement, then you'd better check your spiritual pulse. But you know, it's not all of the story because the Gospels record numerous accounts of resurrection appearances. All of them are exciting and amazing and mind-boggling. For example, the risen Christ dramatically came to the disciples in the upper room and he gave them the encouragement they needed. He appeared to doubting Thomas and he gave him the assurance he needed. He appeared to the disillusioned men on the road to Emmaus and he gave them the hope they needed. And he appeared to Simon Peter on the seashore and he gave him the forgiveness that he so desperately needed. And in Matthew 28, we see yet another resurrection appearance. The risen Christ appears to the disciples on the mountaintop in Galilee. And there, he gives them the great commission, which we read in Matthew 28. Go preach the gospel to all nations and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now in Scripture, we see the very special gifts that Easter gives to us. Do you give gifts at Easter at your house? We do. It dates back to my childhood. I can remember every Easter I would get an Easter basket and new clothes and new shoes to wear. We got school clothes in September, but we got Easter clothes at Easter. We did that with our children. We gave them clothes and shoes and Easter baskets. It's a wonderful tradition, gift-giving at Easter. But what's even better is to receive the gifts that Easter has for you and me. And in Matthew 28, we see that Easter gives us three gifts. First, Easter gives us the resurrection. Easter gives us new life and new vitality, a new sense of victory over sin and despair and defeat. Did you know that Walt Disney and Babe Ruth have something in common? They were both failures. That's right. Walt Disney was fired from the first ad agency because he didn't draw very well. Babe Ruth broke the major league record for striking out. But neither one of them let their failures get in the way of their success. One of today's most successful business leaders is Bill Gates of Microsoft, and he actually prefers to hire people who are not afraid to take big risks, even if they've made big mistakes. On Good Friday, the world thought that Jesus was a failure. But on Easter morning, God showed the world that he was not a failure. That was just a prelude to the vindication and the triumph to come. A resurrection gives us more than one thing. It gives us victory even over death. Because Jesus conquered death, we too can experience that same resurrection. A few years ago, there was a woman who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And in just a few weeks, she was gone. 
She had sung in her church choir for over 40 years, and while she was in the hospital, she asked if she could be buried in her choir robe. With a great sense of humor, she said, I know all God's children have robes, but I want to take mine with me, just in case. When she died, the choir sang at her funeral, and they left one empty chair in the choir loft. And after her death, her daughter found a prayer in her mother's purse, the same purse that her mother had taken with her to the hospital. And this prayer had these remarkable words. Listen closely. Lord, send me a surprise, one that catches me off guard and makes me wonder. Like Easter, send me new life when everything looks dead and buried. Send me a light when the night seems too long. Send me spring when the days of cold winter drag on. Send me a new idea when my mind is empty. And send me something to do when I'm just waiting around. Send me peace when I'm afraid. Send me a future when it looks hopeless. And God, send me your resurrection when I die. The good news of Easter is that you and I can experience a resurrection too. Because Christ conquered death, then through faith, by His grace, we can live forever with Him. It's interesting to note that on that first Easter, Christ was not the only one resurrected. If you think about it, the disciples were resurrected too. Look at them. Look at them on Good Friday. They were down and out, devastated and defeated. They were despondent and disillusioned. They were the picture of death. But then look at the risen Christ and see how they then came to find new life. No more trudging and weeping and complaining and self-pity for them. Now they were running and shouting and rejoicing. They were celebrating they had been reborn. That's what the first gift of Easter gives to us. The gift of new life, of rebirth, of salvation, the gift of resurrection. The second thing that Easter gives us is mission. With the good news of the resurrection, then we got a new responsibility, a new calling, a new job, a new mission. The risen Christ sends his followers out into the world with his message of sacrificial love. Go there, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, go out and share the good news with everyone and be my evangelist. The late Charles Schultz, the creator of the Peanuts comic strip, was a devout Christian. Often his faith experiences made their way into his comic strips. For example, did you see the one where Lucy is talking to Linus about evangelism? She says, Linus, I think I make a good evangelist. What makes you think so, says Linus. Well, Lucy says, you know that kid who sits beside me in class? I convinced him that my religion is better than his. How did you do that, asks Linus. Lucy replies, I hit him with my lunchbox. Well, 
the great point of Charles Schultz is making is that some people are like Lucy. They come on strong and heavy-handed with their evangelism techniques. I'm sure that Charles Schultz over the years had probably been hit a time or two with some religious lunchboxes. It's true that throughout church history and right up to the present day, some people have indeed tried to evangelize others by using coercion or intimidation or fear or force or guilt or shame or threats or even violence. But then that's not in the spirit of Christ. He turned away from those kind of tactics. When he was tempted in the wilderness, he chose a way instead of sacrificial love and self-giving. And then he went to the cross. On that cross, Jesus made it clear that the message of love and grace he wants us to share is not to force people into faith, but to love them into it. He wants us to share our lunch with them and not hit them with our lunchbox. Let me show you what I mean. A troubled woman came into a church sanctuary some years ago. The pastor there was a guy by the name of Don Shelby. She was depressed. She was in pain and disappointment. She was on the brink of suicide that Sunday morning when she made her way into the sanctuary. As the congregation sang, she shared the joy of their faith, but even worse, because she had nothing to sing about. And when the service ended, a wonderful thing happened. There was an older woman in the church who was severely crippled with arthritis, and she made her way down front to the pew where that young, troubled woman was sitting to welcome her to church. And when she did, it was more than that woman, that troubled woman, could handle and she broke down and began to cry. And the older lady just cradled her in her arms and let her weep. She held her, she rocked her gently, and she just let her cry. And then they talked for a little while and prayed together, just the two of them alone in the sanctuary now. The older lady then turned to this young troubled woman and invited her to come home for lunch, and she accepted. And that simple gesture of love opened up a brand new life and a brand new beginning for this troubled woman. Some months later, this young woman wrote a note to her new friend, the elderly lady, and the young woman said this, I cannot think of you for five minutes without thinking of God. In your love, I have found my place in His love. And through the Christ I have seen in you, I have now discovered the Christ in me, too. For sure, Easter gives us a resurrection, but it also gives us a mission to share God's sacrificial love with a troubled and hurting world. One writer said it this way, He came singing in love. He lived in love. He died singing love, and he ascended in silence. And now if his song is to continue, we must do the singing. The third thing that Easter gives us is a promise. The promise of God's strong presence, that it's always with us. The promise that he will never desert us. Remember how he put it, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
no matter what our problems or persecutions, we have to know that no obstacles or adversaries we encounter can keep us away from Him. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from God's love. In 1928, in Birmingham, Alabama's Baptist Hospital, blood transfusions were seldom given, but when they were necessary, the donor and the recipient would lay side by side in the operating room, and the blood would be piped directly from one to the other. The doctor that day was a doctor by the name of Kirby, and he was caring for a tiny little boy who had leukemia. The little boy's older sister, who was six years old, had the only matching blood that could be located. With the parents' permission, the doctor explained the procedure to the sister, and then he asked her if she would like to give her little brother some blood. She nodded her head, yes. Although she showed no signs of fear in the operating room, as the blood was being drawn, she looked up at the doctor and said, How long will it be? The doctor said, How long will it be until what, honey? The little girl said, Until I die. The doctor picked the little girl up in his arms and he assured her that she was not going to die. And then the little girl said this, Our pastor said that when Jesus gave his blood to save us, he died. Jesus kept his promise. And Jesus keeps our promise for us. You see, what Jesus allows you and me to do by his death and resurrection is he allows us to do things that we never dreamed we could do, things that we never thought were possible. He allows us to do them through his strength and his power. Because of Jesus' promises, you and I can keep our promises. And even when we don't, and even when we fail, and even when we don't think there's a way forward, and even in the midst of the coronavirus, he says, don't worry. There's nothing that's happening that's going to surprise me. On this Easter Sunday morning, we may not be together in one room, but we're together in spirit. And because Jesus has won, you and I can win too. This disease doesn't get the last word. Some people may die. Some have died. Others may get sick. Others may not be touched by it. But together, we all work so that it doesn't spread more than it might if we weren't doing what we're doing right now. I'm so grateful to be a part of the Woodlawn Church. I'm celebrating on this Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday morning. I don't know about you, but I serve a resurrected Lord. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Oh God, we're just so grateful for you. You're such a wonderful God. You gave your son to us. That's the greatest gift that's ever been given. 
And because of his death and resurrection, not only can we live with you in this life, but we can live with you forever. And so, Lord, I pray that during these days of the coronavirus, that each one of us would be about your business, that each one of us would grow stronger in our prayer lives, that our witness for you would become more impactful, that our reach to others might be farther than it's ever been, that you might use each one of us to draw people who are far from you, close to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us in worship today. We know it's a little different than the way we normally have Sunday services, but whether we are gathered in one room together or watching on a phone from our living rooms, we are still the church. Location doesn't define us. Our commitment to Christ and to one another does. No matter what changes around us, that never will. We want to leave you with some good information to keep in mind as we wrap up today. First, you still have the opportunity to continue your regular giving. Although we are not meeting in person, the Lord still calls us to faithfulness in this area. People will need help in the days ahead and we want to be prepared to offer that assistance. Your regular giving will go a long way to allow ministries to continue happening locally and around the world. There are several methods for you to give even though we aren't gathering on Sundays. First, to give online by credit card or bank draft, please visit woodlawnpcb.info giving or text give to 813-644-8622 or third, mail checks payable to Woodlawn UMC to the church office. All this information can be found on our giving page. Second, it is such a joy to pray for one another during this time. If you have prayer needs, please head to the link below to submit prayer requests and to let us know what needs you may have. Lastly, we want to know that you've tuned in with us today. You can fill out a digital connection card that will help us know who you are and how to serve you best. There is also a section there to let us know if you've made a commitment to Jesus today or if you have questions about how to come to know Him. Our team will be standing ready, so please don't hesitate to reach out. We can't wait to connect with you. Blessings on you today and in the days ahead. See you next time.